0: Since 2015, Pop Health Podcast has brought to you some of the best minds in healthcare, including leaders from government, not-for-profit, and investor-backed powerhouses, as they share successes, failures, and how our audience can move forward in today's constantly evolving healthcare world. Thank you for joining us for today's episode presented by 24-Hour Home Care. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Pop Health Podcast. I'm Gavin Ward, host of Pop Health Podcast. In today's episode, I have the opportunity to welcome returning guest, Pam Foster, and her colleague, Allison Rose. Pam is the Vice President of Care Coordination, and Allison is the Network Director of Clinical Effectiveness, both serving at Honor Health, a very prestigious health system headquartered in Scottsdale, Arizona, and serving the Scottsdale and Greater Phoenix areas. In today's episode, we learn a little bit about the efforts of Honor Health over the years with transitions of care. And what in the world does Network Director of Clinical Effectiveness mean uh, is what Allison jumps into as well. So we hope you enjoyed today's episode with the Honor Health leaders, Pam and Allison. And of course, to check out other episodes of Pop Health Podcast, check us out on our new YouTube channel, pophealthpodcast.com. And of course, you can find us on all the other channels out there as well, like Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, et cetera. Thanks, guys. Enjoy the show. Allison and Pam, thank you so much for joining the show today.
1: Nice Thank you to for having
0: me here with you. Yeah, absolutely. And for those of you uh, that may recognize Pam uh, from the show, uh, she was actually a guest, I believe, back in 2016 when the show was in its infancy uh, with a colleague of hers, uh, Karen Vanasky. So uh, we really appreciate you joining us today, Pam. But we're actually going to start with Allison, uh, who's a first-time guest And Allison, um, when we kick off our shows, we like to get to know the guest a little bit. So uh, can you tell us something about yourself, maybe outside of your uh, Honor Health employment, uh, maybe a fun fact, uh, hobby, something like that?
2: Um, Sure, so thank you for having me. My name's Allison. I love gardening, uh, so that was really a really fun little tidbit about your friend with the YouTube channel. Um, I recently just remodeled my backyard for a pool, so I've spent a lot of time swimming with my son and uh, just really enjoying the weather uh, this spring in Phoenix, so we're pretty lucky. It's been a nice a nice spring.
0: That is awesome. When did you complete the pool?
2: Uh, it finished on Easter weekend, so we were able to do an inaugural swim on Easter <laughs>
0: Okay, that is awesome. We're recording this at the very beginning of June. Uh, So folks, when you hear the show, it'll probably be towards the end of June. So it is a new pool. What a cool experience for you and your son. That's awesome. Um, Does he know how to swim, already?
2: Oh, yes. Yeah, he's a fish. So luckily, it's, uh, it's been a
0: lot of fun. <laughs> nice. Awesome. Very cool. Enjoy the pool this summer. And of course, for you folks listening who may not be in Phoenix, I'm sure you're all aware, it is a great, uh, great place to have a pool. Um, and Pam, how about you? Uh, fun fact, hobby, something outside of your role at Honor Health.
1: Good. Well, I, too, like to garden. I uh, like to work outside in the yard and uh, be, you know, be outside as much as I can, although in the summer in Arizona, that is that is a little bit difficult. But um, I really enjoy uh, working with uh, children with disabilities, children and adults, and so I volunteer uh, on the weekends doing that, and uh, I'm going to be uh, participating in a, in a camp here coming up in a couple of weeks, so I'm excited about that.
0: That is awesome. Uh, may I ask Pam, what was kind of your inspiration um, to first get involved with kids and adults with disabilities?
1: Yeah. My son actually is is six years old and uh he has uh, nonverbal autism. And so um, you know, we've we've gotten plugged in with a lot of groups and wonderful people and friends and, and the whole community at large. So it's really, uh, really heartwarming and and rewarding and and uh so I really enjoy it. Yeah. Gives oh, me God. a chance to spend time with him too. <laughs> so,
0: yeah, that, yeah. Is, that is awesome. So when you do the camp, are you using some of your nursing background as well, or other types of volunteer role?
1: Uh, it, well, I'm a social worker, actually. by <laughs> background. Yeah. Nope. That's nope. That's okay. Um, and so, um, yeah, sort of. I mean, sort of. But it's really, uh, you know, really kind of a different sort of approach and and training, and really just you know meeting people where they're at, and um, you know. Uh, it just yeah having a great time and uh just giving them a little bit of assistance where they need it but um you know it's it's just modifying and uh enjoying life and yeah it's been it's been great
0: very good so uh let's jump back over to allison so allison um you have a nursing background uh correct mm-hmm. That's and correct. and your role i believe well before we get to your role at Honor Health today, tell us a little bit about your healthcare background and how you ended up at Honor Health.
2: Sure. Um, so I am a, a nurse by background. I was an emergency nurse primarily when I did clinical nursing. I uh, loved being a nurse, uh, loved caring for patients at the bedside. Um, and I really found a calling um, when I was involved in some process improvement in the emergency room to be able to provide more timely care. Uh, So we had patients waiting in the emergency room, waiting room uh, for less time after we redesigned. Uh, So it really initiated in me um, a passion for process improvement um, and just really being able to identify patterns that could eliminate and reduce waste. Uh, So I um, got very interested in doing more of a business type of a background. So I do have a a master's degree in health management Um, and my specific emphasis in that was health policy and process improvement. Um, I moved, um, after that master's degree, I started moving into roles in quality and um, uh, moved into a critical care transport sector where we were working on behalf of health plans to, uh, to do utilization management. We had certain parts of their systems delegated for uh, medical and critical care transport, and I oversaw quality and utilization management um, and just loved it. And so, uh, But I realized in that particular environment where we were partnering with health plans, I really missed being able to interact uh, face-to-face. Um, and you know, by proxy with patients. Uh, so I really felt called to come back to the healthcare uh, bedside type of environment. And uh, Honor Health had a position open up for a clinical quality improvement consultant. Uh, and so that's really when I said, you know, I think this is my chance. And I had the privilege of interviewing with Pam. Uh, and the rest is history. I feel like we've uh, developed a really great partnership. And uh, we've really been able to do some pretty remarkable work um, in the about three years that I've been with Honor Health. And it's just been a joy
0: wow so you've been frontline in the ed um, now you when you did the critical care transport um, did you ever like get up in the plane or anything like that yourself or yeah
2: i did i did so i will say you know you we did uh, primarily fixed wing some rotor uh we did a lot of moving patients back and forth between different modes of transport so that we had better utilization for services uh, but i did fly and uh, it's a different world when you're flying on private airplanes Um, And truly, it's, it's, um, you become very autonomous. And so when you are on an airplane with you and a paramedic and a patient, it's the two of you to really care for that patient. Um, And so there's, you know, one time in particular, I have in mind with a very sick patient quadriplegic on a vent, uh, and he started having trouble uh, breathing uh, while we were in the air. So, um, you know, lots of trying to manage the vent settings, you know, trying to make sure that he's comfortable and um, really making sure that we're managing the landing. Um, Altitude is a big deal for patients um, when they're on ventilator or have respiratory conditions. So, you know, when something goes wrong in the air, you're really on your own to know clinically what's most appropriate and how to help make sure that patient is safe. And um, so it can be very harrowing, um, but really rewarding when you see uh, that you've gotten a patient somewhere that they really needed to go and will have the best outcome possible.
0: Yeah, that is. Uh, that's. I appreciate you sharing that and some of the stress that comes with that. My um, One of my best friend's wives was actually transferred there in Arizona uh, <coughs> via um, a helicopter, actually, um, but it was a critical situation. Unfortunately, she survived, but uh, she had a very, I yeah, guess, positive experience um, with that type of work that you had previously done um, I think a lot of us don't experience that in our lives because it is, it does happen, but it's it niche. I don't know if niche, niche is the right word. Yeah,
2: yeah but no, it, it for sure is. Yeah. And that's that's why we ended up trying to partner with health plans about how to help facilitate appropriate utilization. But certainly when you're in the air and someone's life is on the line, it changes how you perceive stress. <laughs> and so I think, you know, when we're looking at our day to day life and trying to implement process changes and the procedures for what we do here, um, you know, my perspective on, you know, critical situations and critical stress is probably a little bit different than somebody who maybe hasn't had the, the background that I've had because there's definitely been times that the patient's life, life or death is on the line. So um, it's, it definitely makes you grateful in a lot of ways um, for the, the luck and the joy that we have in our own lives.
0: Awesome. Thank you very much, Allison, for sharing that experience with us and how you ended up at Honor Health. Uh, Pam, um, you know, you mentioned something about yourself earlier that I won't repeat it as self-deprecating, uh, but you basically, you are very knowledgeable and I would say mm-hmm. a pillar in the uh, case management world. Um, you've been to a few different places, but you've been at Honor Health for a while now. Tell us uh, briefly how you ended up at Honor Health.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, so I have been in case management for gosh, it's. I just thought about this the other day. It's been over 25 years now. So I won't say how how many years over 25, but but suffice it to say a while. And um, so I uh, worked at a at a local uh, health system here in Phoenix uh, for many years, and then uh, in 2011 I transferred uh, into the uh, or excuse me, 2008 I transferred into the Mayo Clinic system and worked here at Mayo Clinic in Arizona, and then in 2008 11 went up to the Midwest. And uh, really uh, worked in a regional role there for five hospitals, and so that was uh, that was really a lot of fun. I loved that role. Um, you know, it was I learned a lot, and I think it really prepared me for for taking on a bigger role here at Honor Health. Uh, so I came uh, from Mayo to Honor Health um, back in 2015. So I've been here on just about six years now, and um, you know during that time, uh, just really have uh, went from bringing two health systems to in the early days to I think really refining our processes and our departments and sort of taking on a larger umbrella um, of care coordination. And so it's just been a real privilege to be able to create a really high-functioning team, um, really robust processes, and um, I think, you know, really delivering great patient care. So it's been, it's been really a privilege and, and an honor to, to be here at Honor Health.
0: Yeah, awesome. So you mentioned the two health systems. Many of our audience may not know who those were. Would you mind briefly talking about that?
1: Sure, sure. So back in, let's see, probably about 2013, uh, I think... John C. Lincoln Network and Scottsdale Healthcare came together to form a a network, and then um, I, I think it was in 2014 they formally merged. And so then you know a lot of the the first parts of that are more legal and structural and that type of thing. And then um, in 2015 when I uh, came on board, we were really starting to bring the two organizations together, and so that was uh, sort of the focus in the early days. And a lot of um, a lot of our senior leaders. Were hired during that period of time, and you know, formed a strategic plan and quality goals and those types of things to really help drive us forward. And so, I think we've had a very good roadmap um, of looking ahead. And our board is very committed to quality outcomes. Um, we have very um, lofty goals and and robust you know uh, programs around a- achieving quality goals. And so, one of the one of the areas that Allison and I are both very involved in uh, has to do with preventing readmissions. And so that's been one Mm -hmm. of the quality goals uh, of the board uh, for many years now. And uh, I think we've made a lot of progress and we just continue to set the bar higher every year.
0: Awesome. And we'll get more into that and uh, some of the work that you guys are doing uh, to be effective in your roles. So uh, many of our audience uh, are from Arizona, but some are not. Uh, Some are from California, Texas, throughout the states. Um, So briefly, this could be for either of you. Can you briefly share kind of in a nutshell what is Honor Health today And also, if uh, one of you wouldn't mind sharing about the new Neuroscience Institute as well.
1: Sure, I'd, I'd be happy to take that. Um, so here at Honor Health, we really are um, a fully integrated health system. We have uh, six hospitals. We have um, a very uh, robust medical uh, medical group with about four hundred uh, practitioners. We also have a clinically integrated network that we're affiliated with Innovation Care Partners. You mentioned Karen Vanasky earlier. She works over there on that side, um, and they have a, a. They're an organization of about two thousand physicians so quite vast. Uh, We have multiple partnerships with surgery centers. Uh, We have a rehab hospital. Uh, We partner uh, with Select to operate that. Um, So we have multiple joint ventures and uh, urgent care. So really, uh, you know, anything you can can think of, we have, um, you know, we have within our network, Uh, we have a very large uh, cancer center and research institute that we're affiliated with. And so uh, we have a bone marrow transplant program. The only thing we don't Really, only two services we don't uh, do are solid organ transplant and uh, burn center. So those things we typically send out for. But but other than that, we you name it, we've got it. And we just um, we just opened. You mentioned the neuroscience institute. We just opened uh, our neuroscience institute. or It was just dedicated a few weeks ago, and that is really going to be a full service. Um, Center for treating uh, neuro neuro diseases. Um, you know, there's uh, it's going to be neurosurgery, uh, neurology, there uh, physiatry, all the therapies, um, an infusion suite. Um, so anything you can think of that would be uh, revolving around uh, neurological disease, the care will be provided there in terms of an outpatient basis. So um, we're we're super uh, super excited about that, and that was made possible through a very generous uh, donor here in. The valley, so Mr. Bob Obey, So we're very grateful to him.
0: Awesome, and I know the. I wasn't pr- sure how to pronounce his last name, so one of the reasons, candidly, I asked you to talk about the Neuroscience Institute was hoping you would uh, say his last name. So <laughs>
1: uh,
0: I appreciate that, Bob Obey. Um So let's talk. Let's let's drill down a little bit to what y'all are doing over there, and let's start with Allison. Um, Allison, uh, your role includes uh, clinical effectiveness. Can you help us um, understand? You know, what that means exactly for you and for Honor Health.
2: Sure. Um, so I think as Pam mentioned, it makes a little sense too to just back up just a little bit. So when I first came to Honor Health, I, I came as a clinical quality improvement consultant. And primarily my role was aimed at helping us identify opportunities to um, improve on our unplanned readmissions. And um, as we started to put together our strategic plan, as we started to get a little bit more um, evolved and mature in our programming, uh, my scope started to, uh, my bandwidth opened up, so my scope started to change a little bit. So. Um, In the end of 2019, uh, what we did with my current role was sort of merge it into this role, which is Network Director of Clinical Effectiveness, where um, I still oversee uh, much of the responsibility for the implementations and executions of our strategic plan for readmissions. Um, But also what we look at with clinical effectiveness is really looking at a broader view of how we use continuous quality improvement in the organization um, to make sure that we're providing clinically appropriate and cost-effective care for patients. Um, We look at different areas of the organization like pharmacy, radiology, um, and we make sure that we're not underutilizing services or overutilizing services and that we're doing everything we can to really help drill into patients getting um, and achieving their most optimal health outcomes Um, and making sure that it's also done in a cost effective way, both for the health plan and for the patient when you look at the financial implications there.
0: Wow, that is uh, quite a lot, but you summed it up uh, pretty well there. So, uh, can, you, can you give us an example? Maybe, let's say someone that's listening in is uh, new into their healthcare career and they're and they're listening and they hear your room like, wow, that is a lot of that sounds very important. And but what what's like a practical thing or like a patient? Like, if I'm a patient, how would that impact me? What what you do basically?
2: Yeah, so um, I you know I can think of two very quick examples off the top of my head of some of the work I've been uh, really involved in. So one of them is looking at appropriate utilization of radiology services. Um, It does align with some of the CMS, uh, which is uh, Centers for Medicare and Medicare Services, uh, publicly reported data. And um, and so we look at are we using appropriate imaging techniques uh, based off of the patient's clinical presentation. So um, an easy example would be are we doing MRIs for low back pain when we haven't tried any other either diagnostic or, um, you know, therapy-based treatments? Um, And so are we going directly into, you know, the most uh, invasive or, you know, costly uh, diagnostic service when really there could be other things that we could do on behalf of that patient. And again, because we're trying to look at the you know the cost appropriateness and the the value of the care that we're providing, um, and that goes for both the patient and the health plan. And so, um, you know, really wanting to make sure that we're appropriately uh, using services for radiology we look at a lot with pharmacy too, which I think is really interesting. So obviously with um, you know new medications that are developed um, on an ongoing basis, um, some of the medications that come through um, can be very costly. And so you know, we developed a pathway through utilization review um, on making sure that if we are using some of the most expensive medications that could leave you know, co-pay or co-insurance for a patient or also be responsible for a health plan, uh, that we really have evaluated and have an approval process along those lines to ensure it is the right um, option for that patient. So just a couple Examples of things
0: that we do. Going back to you, Pam. So, you know, one thing you mentioned about Honor Health um, earlier is uh, just the great care. Well, you both obviously are, I'm sure, fans of your own system. But I have noticed, and Joey, my colleague who's uh, on my day job, is out there as our local director, um, has noticed that Honor Health does have a stronger reputation than maybe some of the other systems. And Pam, you've been there, what, six years, I think, is what you shared. And c- can you pinpoint? like specific reasons as to why you guys have been able to have the quality and the acknowledgement that you've received?
1: Mm-hmm. Sure. Well, I, I think you know quality is very intentional, and it doesn't. It doesn't. I think there's a quote. You know, it doesn't. It doesn't happen by accident, right? So I think we have, from our, and I mentioned this earlier, but from our board, um, our senior leaders on down, you know, quality is really driven into us. I think in everything we do, and we have, um, you know, very uh, robust governance structures around the quality initiatives that we're pursuing. Um, we have a lot of. Uh, um, uh, we have a, a best care council, which is really driven uh, to it's kind of our quality oversight body, but really drives a lot of the work that is uh, being done. And so it's done in a very coordinated uh, fashion, not haphazardly. So we've got sort of these overarching goals. And then, you know, each service line in each department is responsible to really deliver on those goals. And we have, you know, again, very uh, I think the governance structure around that has been very helpful. Um, I think the other big factor in all of this is that, you know, our physicians are, are very engaged in that. And so, uh, you know, we have our senior leaders really work very closely to um, collaborate with them and make sure that they're on board. And, you know, we're not asking them to do anything that really they can't get on board with or support. And so that's been, I think, hugely helpful. Um, in, in driving quality. And then I, the last thing I will say, and, and this really, I think, became apparent during the COVID crisis, but I think one of the things that differentiates Honor Health from, from maybe some of the other systems is our ability to work as a system. And so, you know, we're a nice size system. We're six hospitals um, plus the medical group and all those other areas we talked about. But, you know, we're, we're, we're within um, a pretty uh, narrow geographical area, you know, here in, in the Phoenix Scottsdale areas, so you're not talking about hours of distance to get between each site, um, but we're really able to move resources around pretty nimbly, and yeah. that big, big help during COVID. Um, I, I just can't tell you how, how much that, uh, really worked in our favor. And, you know, we've got, um, we, we use a daily management system. And so, you know, each of the hospitals has, uh, from the department levels to the, um, the C-suites at the hospitals, then, you know, at 10 o'clock every morning, that rolls up to our, our corporate network, uh, senior leadership team and problems get discussed and elevated there and then resolved very quickly. So, um, our chief operating officer drives the um, you know the outcomes and makes sure that you know if there's an if there's an MRI machine broken at one of our sites that it's getting fixed you know and and I mean this morning it was an air conditioner somewhere you know and so just constantly driving that so that we don't have barriers to care or safety issues for our patients and so I think those those things all really working together have made honor health just a really uh, a safe place to receive care and uh, just a, just a great a great place to work,
0: uh, frankly. Awesome. Yeah. I know when my uh I mentioned my friend earlier when speaking with Allison um and the emergency helicopter ride, I know that um you know I did I did say hey if you can make it to honor health uh that's where you want to go. Um, so yeah, no problem. And there's there's good health systems out there. I mean I don't mean for those of you that are listening that maybe work for a competitor. You guys, you know, there's there's lots of good ones. Uh, so forgive me if, uh, <laughs> if you may have a different lens on, uh, on that competitive edge there. So um, we mentioned uh, readmission prevention, right? And so that's been a buzzword for almost a decade now. And I know neither of you have been there that long, but I wanted to see this might, and this could be for either of you, so Allison or Pam, what clear um, steps have you made over the last decade in regards to readmission prevention that you can touch on?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll, I'll kind of start and then I'll hand it over to Allison. She's been really um, hugely helpful in, in driving a lot of the initiatives. But, you know, I think early on, um, we set a very high goal um, back in uh, 2015, and that was to reduce our overall readmissions by 20. 20- percent by the year 2020. And so, you know, we we sort of started off um trying to make little tweaks here and there um to do that and I think, you know, we we made little improvements the first year uh, I was here we had um we had some improvement, you know, it was it was small but at least we were getting on our way. And then um in the year 2016 we we slipped back a little bit. So, um I think, you know, 2016 2017 we were still really um, Um, You know, trying to do the right things. We were trying to kind of rely on the department levels, but really didn't have a, I would say we didn't have a great system approach. So that system approach I was talking about earlier, I think was really pivotal in helping to move readmissions. Um, The other thing was, I think we had to make some big investment in some transitional care programming and some other programs. So I'm going to let Allison talk about those. But uh, we came together, it was in 2018, we came together and had a summit of stakeholders. Um, and, And at that time, Allison uh, was just joining us. Um, and one of the things that I had requested prior to that that summit was that we invest in someone who can really help us drive this quality and and that was allison's role at that time um so we came together as a as a you know key stakeholders within our organization about a hundred people we spent a whole day locked up in a room uh really dissecting the problem and then figuring out a strategy to move forward so i'm gonna let i'm gonna hand it off to allison that's where she came in and saved the day (laughs) (laughs) can i can i ask
0: Sorry to interrupt, but I want to ask a question no, about Allison's, well. about Allison's role really quickly. So uh, and how it was created. So thanks for letting me jump in here really quickly, Allison. So Pam, you you created the role, correct? Um, I.
1: Yes, basically. So it was myself. I requested the funding for for the for the role, and um, working in conjunction with the quality department, we really kind of developed this quality consultant role to uh, to help with readmission uh, work. And it was a little different than a lot of the other quality consultant roles that we had because those were really more around service lines like cardiology or okay. women's health, that type of thing. So um, so Allison sort of was really a trailblazer because she she really helped us create the role and so you know rather and allison's personality rather than just being you know it's sort of a a data cruncher and and you know looking at charts and graphs um no offense to any quality people they they can sort of be you know they get they get into the reporting of the information but she really was a doer and so she really helped us to not only um you know uh, plan uh, do and study but also to act and so in those in that PDSA you know model she was really kind of involved in all of it and uh, and so that was that was really um, you know kind of our early vision for the role but she took it to another level and so I think that really drove a lot of our success
0: <laughs> oh look at that look at that <laughs> nice um, all right Allison come on very
2: in. very Here. kind words oh thank you Um, I think I had mentioned earlier when I um, interviewed for the role that clinical quality improvement consultant position had been posted and I had really been reflecting and, you know, wanting to come back into this system um, of healthcare. So I saw this, um, I saw this job come and I just said, you know, I think, I think this is the right move for me. So I came and I interviewed and I interviewed with Pam and I had my binder of all the different things I had done before and, um, and it just was a wonderful interaction. And so I think we kind of knew that it was going to be a good fit right from the beginning. Um, And then Pam mentioned, excuse me, that we had the uh, readmission summit. So my first day at Honor Health was technically June 25th. The readmission summit was June 10th or something like that. And so I had actually, you know, put my notice in at my other job, but I took a PTO day to come to the summit. And so I was introduced at the summit as this new person who was coming for readmissions. And as Pam mentioned, there was like at least 100 people there, seniors, and I was... (laughs) It was very overwhelming, but um, I was so excited to come and you could just feel um, the energy around wanting to improve this particular area. And um, one of the things that's become really apparent for me is that um, part of the reason that we had been successful in the work that we were doing was because we were really given dedicated resource. Um, that that came in my position. Um, it came with you know, the the executive leaders being feeling very strongly that they wanted us to be successful. So when we had, you know, issues to escalate or budget requests to have, you know, we had the support for that. Um, and so we really were able to implement some, what I I personally think is some pretty um, important and really outside of the box kind of thinking for some of the work that we've done. Um, and, and I think in some of the areas, I do feel like we've been a little bit ahead of the game, um, especially when we were looking at things now like social determinants of health. Um, so to take just a little bit of a step back, when, when I came in as a clinical quality improvement consultant, um, the physician executive who oversees a lot of the work, his name is that, Dr. Brian Sidoti. Um So he, Pam, and myself worked very closely together on what we could do from a physician perspective, a transitional care perspective, a case management perspective in the hospital. Um, and we put together a strategic plan. And so we really had this sort of three to five-year strategic vision um, where we wanted to improve physician handoffs at discharge, whether it was to home or to um, another facility like skilled nursing or acute rehab. Um, you know, we looked at how we could improve um, or even build uh, a transitional care program um, and what that entailed and, and what kind of safety net we can develop for patients when they're leaving the hospital. We were looking at how we could standardize how we do discharge planning. Um, so one of our largest initiatives for that plan has been standardizing discharge planning rounds, which we sort of affectionately call team rounds um, at Honor Health. Um, And then one of the other things that we did was really trying to have a system in place to identify our really high utilizers um, so that we could have real-time notification of patients who likely need some additional transition planning, either right from the very beginning of their emergency room stay, or perhaps they've had significant transitional care planning and we need to transition them out of the emergency room back in so that they don't end up back in the hospital. So we've shown some pretty significant impact from our complex patient management plans, which is what those are. Um, and, and our big initiative that we started, and it was the very first thing that we were able to execute was our transitional care program. So we got resourced for transitional care nursing. Um, we do also have a transitional care social work, uh, social worker. And we contracted with um, a third-party vendor for nursing support. So we place an outbound phone call to almost 100% of patients who leave our organization from an inpatient status, an observation status, and some outbound extended recovery. Um, and it takes usually within the second day of they get home, just a little bit after that 24-hour mark is when our nurses usually get in touch with them. Um, and we really review, you know, how they're doing. Did they transition okay? Were they able to get their medications? Um, and I had mentioned before during this time, which was the very beginning, it was February of 2019, you know, we built a custom, you know, documentation template in our electronic health record. And we really started to review the social determinants of health. Do you have somebody to prepare your meals? Can you afford your meals? Do you have transportation to get to your appointments. And if not, we had resources available that we could help uh, to be able to make sure that patients were able to connect in with those services. And we had uh, different pathways set up so patients could then be connected with perhaps our medical group if they didn't have primary care, um, that we could connect them in with our um, federally qualified health plan, which is NOAA for us, um, if they were uh, needing like a sliding scale um, type of a, of a, a healthcare provider. Um, and then uh, we were also able to then connect in with our accountable care organization. Um, and so in addition to all of that, that we were doing for outbound trans- transitional care, um, really trying to just make sure we had a safety net for patients in that immediate post-discharge time period, um, we also opened up uh, a nurse helpline. And so you know on our after-visit summary, which is our discharge instructions, it says, um, you know, on our health care, about you. If you need any assistance in your you know, post-discharge time period, please call this phone number. And, um, and so we have a nurse that's going to answer that line 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And what we learned very early on from these calls um, was that if somebody's calling within the first 24 hours or so after being discharged, they've had a medication failure. Um, it's either that the medication didn't get electronically delivered, uh, that the medication was wrong, they can't afford it, it never got there, um, it went to the wrong pharmacy, uh, just all sorts of various issues that you can imagine. Um, And so, what we ended up doing very soon after that, towards the end of 2019, we did get resourced for a transitional care pharmacist. So, now, in addition to having transitional care nursing uh, social work, we also have pharmacy involved so that if you do have a patient who's experiencing medication-related problems, um, we can really connect them in with a resource to help prevent that um, so that they're just not ending up back in the emergency room and then potentially back and readmitted. So, there's... A lot I can talk about with that. I figured I'd ask Pam if there's anything else you think I missed with that one, because that was definitely our biggest and one of our most fun initiatives that we've done. You saw such an amazing impact to our patients.
0: Yeah. I think you hit
1: the highlights, so, Allison, definitely.
0: Cool. Yeah, thanks, Allison. You really, uh, you know, you're put, get put, just like your earlier answer, there's a lot there that you're putting together in a nice uh, bow for us. So, uh, for the audience, um, uh, you probably picked up, but when Allison says resource, it basically means they're getting the budget, I guess, for to hire for that role, um, in case you missed that. Um, when I was in my 20s, I didn't know what that meant. Um, but now I'm... Uh, <laughs> so just in case you missed it for uh, folks uh, who are listening in, uh, it's been cool to see Honor Health and your story there, Allison, about how your transitional team has grown. So you have nursing, you have social work, you have pharmacy. So one thing you mentioned was for most of your patients and... Um, I, I wanted to jump down to um, risk. So one of the questions I wanted to ask you was, and this is again for either of you, was about when Honor Health or your teams are dealing with patients that you're at risk for, can you, uh, again, a lot of folks that listen aren't necessarily uh, you know, 15, 20 years in, can you share what does that mean if you are at risk for your patients?
1: hmm. So, uh, yeah, I can take that, Joey um, or, or Gavin. <laughs> no know, problem.
0: Sorry about that, Gavin. I'll take All
1: that. So we do have uh, populations uh, that we are at risk uh, for. And really, you know, for, for Honor Health, um, in, our, in our system, those patients are managed by our clinically integrated network uh, innovation care partners. Um, but essentially, you know, that means that if their care costs more than you know, we would um, expect it to, then, you know, we really um, would share in the liability of that. So, you know, a lot of these plans that we work with have what's called shared savings. So we really are trying to lower the overall cost of care um, for the health plan, uh, for, C- for you know, Medicare, for CMS, um, and, and for, you know, and for the hospital system, uh, the health system. So, you know, as we work together uh, to do that, we are trying to create a better experience better outcomes at a lower cost really achieve uh you know what dr burwick called the triple aim several years ago um and so really that's that's what that's that's what that's all about and when we do that um it gives us resources we we sort of have you know some some upside on that and so that gives us resources to be able to do the things that allison was talking about and a lot of um managing those at-risk populations really uh, is is involved with care coordination and providing care management programs to patients and families in their homes and so really being able to create a wonderful experience for them um, many people have difficulty navigating the health care system and so um, you know iCP employees uh, care coordinators and transitional care managers to help do that and so these patients have somebody that they develop a relationship with over time that they can really count on um, to help get them through their, either their episode of illness or oftentimes it's a chronic illness. And so, um, you know, they have ongoing support. And so that all of that savings really um, allows us to be able to deliver on that triple aim and, and, you know, what we're all hoping to do.
0: Awesome, Pam. Um, I did not know what the triple aim meant a while back. So I appreciate you uh, bringing that up again for our audience. And I'm also—you probably heard of the quadruple aim. Have you heard of that? Have you heard anybody bring that up before?
1: I have heard of it, but I'm going to take a minute to embarrass myself, and I forget what the fourth uh, point of that is. Yeah, I,
0: think, I don't know if Allison knows, but I think it's staff as well.
2: Oh,
1: staff, yeah, staff, that makes
2: sense yes we're so, feeling that now so I would I would fully yeah I was about to start googling I was like I don't know <laughs>
0: <laughs> nice but um yeah no I appreciate you Pam bringing up the triple in, which I know was a big uh is a big thing mm-hmm. um but if for folks out there if you ever hear quadrupling that also includes staff satisfaction um as well so um I wanted to ask, you mentioned Innovation Care Partners as a key partner there at Honor Health. Are there any other uh, plans or groups that you have strategic relationships with that you think are worth mentioning in today's show?
1: Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they, Innovation Care Partners really manages all of that for us. Um, so they they tend to be the ones that do that. But we do participate in the CMS uh, bundle Payment Initiative. So um, that's uh, in an advanced form of that. Um, so we really are taking risk for uh, certain groups of Medicare patients in a 90-day period, really trying to lower their, again, lower the overall cost of care and increase the quality and the experience uh, for those patients. And so that's been Um, something that we've been um, involved in for the last few years and uh, I think is continuing to to get better over time and, and we're learning a lot. We work with a a partner uh, to help us um, you know, understand the outcomes and the data and to really improve um, the handovers of care and just the whole uh, transitional care period. Um, we work with the post-acute communities uh, through that process very closely. And uh, we have, uh, between our health and innovation care partners, we have uh, an aligned network of post-acute providers that includes uh, long-term care hospitals, rehab hospitals, skilled nursing facilities, home health agencies, hospice and palliative care. um, And we're starting to get into uh, looking at uh, aligning a mental health network around us as well. So uh, lots of, uh, you know, really full spectrum. But, um, you know, uh, Karen Vanasky's team, she has uh, transitional care managers in those facilities and working with those post-acute partners to, um, you know, really uh, create a better experience for those patients and make sure that they have quality outcomes.
2: Um, was, uh, you know, what we really had tried to do with uh, telehealth and COVID. And so, you know, we had partnered with the telehealth programs in particular. Um, so when I was reading your email, Gavin, that was something that came up for me about partnerships that we've really tried to leverage. So I don't know if that's maybe something you want
0: to talk about. Yeah, yeah. yeah definitely. Yeah, please, um, if you want to jump into how you leverage telehealth, um, go for it.
1: Early in the days of the pandemic, uh, our medical group had to figure out how to uh, see patients via telehealth, you know, and and they did that very successfully, very quickly. And our patients, um, I think, adapted to it uh, much more easily than I expected them to. So we had a very uh, great reception to telehealth with the medical group side. And so uh, we really started to then, um, you know, look to see how we could uh, develop other use cases for telehealth in the home health environment. Um, we started using telehealth and we had worked with a third party um, with some disease management programs um, pre-pandemic. And so uh, when we were surging and um, gosh, uh, last summer, so it was just right about this time last summer, we started uh, we started seeing, you know, high census and high COVID numbers. Uh, we reached out to that partner to see what we could do to try to prevent hospitalizations. And, you know, maybe people who were sort of, you know, coming into the emergency room, they were COVID positive, going home with oxygen, sort of on the cusp of needing to be admitted, but really thought maybe we could manage them at home with a little bit of support. We reached out to this vendor and um, really, uh, you know, created did a model like that. And so uh, we ended up, I want to say we ended up serving uh, between four and 500 people uh, in, in a year's time on that program uh, with COVID. And so those, those patients were monitored very closely. They were sent equipment to do some self-monitoring at home and then uh, had a nurse checking in on them daily uh, to make sure that they were doing okay. And then if there were any problems or any cares that needed to be coordinated, the nurse would reach out to the PCP or whatever other specialist maybe the patient had on their case and, um, and really try to coordinate things and, and prevent hospitalizations. It also helped us to send patients home a little bit earlier from the hospital uh, to free up beds. So that was a that was really a great experience. And I think, um, you know, besides telehealth really sort of uh, showed us at what remote patient monitoring can do and what, you know, what the possibilities are for that.
0: Yeah, I, uh, that makes a lot of sense. I had my first telehealth visit. During the pandemic, I never thought I would do telehealth, but it worked out. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, was there any, so I know CMS gave some flexibility um, due to the pandemic, um, but were there any other like internal policies or policies that honor health that you were given much more freedom and autonomy to do things that you were never done before during the pandemic?
1: I think, well, around telehealth, you know, we we had some um, specialists that were, uh, you know, it. it trying to, in the early days, trying to preserve PPE, um, you know, and, and keep um, a certain amount of people out of the rooms, you know, I mean, some of the the problems that we were facing changed over time, um, but I think being, even being able to do some telehealth in the hospital, so the, the provider didn't mm-hmm. actually have to go into the room, but being able to just, you know, have the competition, like, for example, psychiatry was a big one, you know, that they really don't have to lay hands on the patient necessarily, but being able to do that, um, just, you know via telehealth uh, was a big was a big uh, help for that so um, I think there were a lot of uh, we had a lot of flexibility you know during the pandemic some of that has lifted now but um, we were able to you know in, in other realms beyond telehealth we were able to move patients uh, much more quickly because the payers actually worked with us very closely and provided waivers So normally they would require um, authorization for certain post-acute services. And we were able to bypass that because they were were really working with us to try to create beds for the community. Um, So that was a big help. Um, CMS, as you know, uh, Medicare, Medicaid has uh, many waivers that we're still under at the moment. We're still under a public health emergency there. So um, we were able to bypass the three-day requirement for skilled nursing placements and things like that. you know, home health got some waivers that some have been, are now permanent, um, you know, where we are able to have advanced care practitioners sign off on the plan mm-hmm. of care for home health. So that's been a big help. Um, so there's been a lot of things just, I think, you know, in, and it it, it was not lost on me or anyone, I don't think, uh, it, who works in this, in this world, um, how quickly, you know, we were able to do things. And some of us, um, for example, uh, just yesterday, I think a bill was introduced to eliminate the, um, or to actually to allow the observation nights to count toward the three-night stay for skilled nursing facilities. And that bill has been introduced for several years now. Um, in fact, the American Case Management Association has been uh, partnering uh, with different uh, key stakeholders to to try to move that bill forward. Um, but it, it was not lost on me that, you know, in a in a public health crisis, boy, we could get that changed like that. So, you know, the, the flexibility of the pen and, and the ability to, you know, really move things that seem to have deep roots. And so, uh, you know, I think there's going to be some conversation, you know, at the federal level and state level about, you know, gosh, maybe we need to be a little bit more flexible and thinking about how we can do things differently. And, you know, what, 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 did we learn from all this? And you know what is going to be optimal in helping us to uh, to move forward and you know meet these goals and outcomes that we all want, and and maybe changing some of these long held you know regulations that sort of hinder us at times uh, will be one of the benefits from from the pandemic, one of the few benefits. <laughs> but uh, you know I think I think that uh, we'll see. <laughs> yeah, hopefully we'll see some of that.
0: Nice. Allison was crossing her fingers for those of you that are listening in and <laughs> Pam was mentioning. Uh, hopefully some of these changes are permanent. Um, yeah, that is that is nice. Um, let's see if there's anything else. I prepared a ton of questions I wanted to ask you folks. Um, as I'm looking through those, is there anything else, Allison or Pam? Uh, I know we prepared for today's episode that I'm missing or that you wanted to touch on about your work at Honor Health before you wrap up.
2: No, I feel like we've had a really good conversation and I certainly appreciate the opportunity and the venue to talk about the great work that we've done and, you know, really excited about what we have in uh, store for us for the future. The the COVID pandemic uh, pushed us all to our limits for sure. I think we pivoted at the drop of a hat multiple times a day sometimes yes. just to uh, respond to the needs of our patients and the organization. So, um, you know, I think we're feeling cautiously optimistic. I'm feeling cautiously optimistic that with vaccination rates up, that perhaps uh, we wouldn't have uh, additional surges like we'd had over the last year, which were very difficult uh, to endure. I, I know Pam and I had some really long, long, long days uh, in response to helping our organization help our patients. Um, and so I think there's just a lot of really good work to be had ahead, um, and uh, and we're really excited to be able to get refocused and uh, and really dive back into what we're doing for our patients.
0: Awesome, thanks, Allison. How about you, Pam? Any final words?
1: Yeah, you know, I just you know I I agree completely with Allison. She said it so well, and I you know the other thing I think that really um, was a positive. Uh, and our and our CEO asked us this not long ago. He said, "What what should we not change?" You know, coming out of the the work that we did with the pandemic, and you know one of the things that I think was so. Um, uh, great for us was the ability to work with our community and our community partners and our other hospital systems in the valley and Mm post-acute partners. And we, uh, our quality improvement network here in in Arizona, I believe they cover California too, but uh, Health Services Advisory Group, they actually were just spearheaded getting all of us together and we're still having these calls regularly just to talk through issues and our um department of health services did a a, just a phenomenal job um i have nothing but but compliments for them they stood up services very quickly. Um, when Northern Arizona was was surging, um, you know, they stood up a surge line and we were able to, to offload those hospitals from Northern Arizona and quickly rallied as a community to take care of our state. And so um, I just think that was just such a beautiful thing. And I know other states, you know, earlier on in the pandemic didn't, didn't have that time to kind of figure that out. And we had a little bit of lead time to be able to do that. And so, um, you know, I think just being able to work with other hospitals uh, you know just this week i uh, we had a patient um who needed to get some services from banner and i was just able to email a colleague over there literally within 30 seconds she responded we got it taken care of i mean it was just fantastic where you know i think in years gone by we would have something like that we would have been entrenched in you know for a number of days mm-hmm. Now we've got these great relationships, we're able to, to help meet the needs so much more quickly and cost effectively. And so uh, I think that's one of the things that, you know, I certainly hope will, uh, will you know, will stay around for a while uh, after the pandemic. And that that's something that we can move forward. Those models of care, uh, just building them a little more permanently, I think is, is really a positive.
0: Yeah, no great example there with Banner, Pam, um, you know, they're a collaborator, but also a competitor in certain ways. And it's mm-hmm. great to have those alliances with our competition. And I, I, one of my favorite sayings is a common enemy brings us together, right? Mm-hmm. And in this case, the common Very enemy trail.
1: is
2: yeah. COVID. COVID. Yeah.
0: Yep. So um, nice little shout out there to your competition, mm-hmm. um, but a great organization as well. Uh, mm-hmm. But I do want to thank both you, uh, Pam and uh, Allison. Great to meet you as well today. I uh, appreciate both of my you. Pleasure. Thank you. You're welcome. Appreciate both of you sharing your insights, your energy, um, your wisdom with our audience of healthcare professionals. And um, hopefully, you know, years to come, we can see you both uh, grow. I know Pam, you've been involved in quite a bit in case management with American Case Management Association. Allison, you've worn many hats um, already. I I mean, my impression of you is you're a future leader. I mean, you're, you're an up and comer for sure. Uh, so it's been, it's been great to have Thank you both. You.
2: Thank, so thank you, you for having, having us. Yeah. Thanks,
0: Gary. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in to another episode of Pop Health Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode. And if you have and want to check out other episodes, visit us at pophealthpodcast.com, iTunes or Apple Music, Spotify, Stitcher, and now YouTube as well. Take care.